Magazines and Monsters, Episode 17, It, the Terror from Beyond Space. aboard and why just to kill us what is the usual reason an intelligent creature kills it's hungry what makes you so certain it's intelligent colonel not just an animal and open the door to see compartment <laughs> silent void of outer space, puny man matches his cunning against a monster from Mars running rampant, howling for all the flesh and blood on Earth. Hey everybody, Billy D, aka Doc Strange here, and it's time for another movie uh, review and recording here, and I got another awesome guest here, you know, the last uh, couple <laughs> I've had, I was with my buddy Herman, because he and I love to talk films, because we talk so much comics, but uh, a returning guest here, uh, so second time, uh, please, uh, everybody put your hands together for Karen from Planet 8 Podcast. How are you, Karen? Hey, Billy, I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. We're both in the midst of some crazy storms here. <laughs> Hopefully we survive. <laughs> right. Funny on opposite sides of the country, but both having thunderstorms. So I don't know. Somebody can figure that out. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But yeah, they were supposed to have cleared out by now, still lingering a little bit. But I think they're slowly getting out of here. So hopefully we'll be able to uh, get through this without any uh, technical difficulties or anything uh wild yes. happening but uh yeah we're gonna be talking about a really fun movie uh and it had some uh you know influences on some later films which we'll get into but it's uh called it the terror from beyond space uh from uh 1958 uh so this is like a sci-fi horror movie that i didn't probably see till i was mm, i think i was well into my 20s until i saw this one mm -hmm. and the way i found it was I don't know if it was a late night showing on one of the channels uh, that used to have, you know, Friday, Saturday night, uh, old school horror sci-fi films, or if it wasn't, you know, as we discussed before uh, we started recording here off mic, uh, when I was watching another film and someone said, well, you know, this film is kind of, you know, loosely, you know, based off of or, uh, you know, some plot points taken from. It, the terror from beyond space and i was like i've never heard of this what is this and of course you know you look into it and you know watched the movie loved it and i thought oh yeah this does really uh <laughs> this does really mirror a certain uh, <laughs> big budget film uh -huh. <laughs> mm -hmm. so uh, how did you uh find out about this one yeah pretty much this the same way as you the uh the uh, famous film which i'm sure we will talk about uh you know, I did some reading on it, and I and now I'm not sure where, whether it was Starlog, whether it was, you know, all in the pre-internet days. Mm -hmm. um, my resources were usually magazines, and and uh, might have been Starlog or Fantastic Films, something like that. And somebody said, well, you know, this film uh, 
certainly took inspiration from It the Tear from Beyond Space. And I was like, wait a minute, what is that movie? I don't remember that movie. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I started, you know, looking at the TV guide every week, trying to figure out, okay, is it is it coming out? You know, is it going to be on the channels? Is it going to be the same kind of thing? You know, we used to get... Uh, sci-fi and horror films regularly on certain programs Friday nights or Saturday nights and so I was checking that and just seeing like is it coming on at like 3 a.m sometime <laughs> can I find it there <laughs> and at some point it did show up and I was able to watch it and probably my late teens early 20s catch it and uh, boy was I uh, surprised how much in in the basic plot it resembled that film, you know, um, with the, the alien invader taking over the spaceship and uh, being just about impossible to uh, stop. So, uh, but it has a lot of charms of its own being a, an old black and white sci-fi film, which I think as we, we discussed, we both really love those 50s sci-fi movies. So it has a lot of uh, things that are are pretty much uh, of that era, which, you know, you don't get any, any other place. So <laughs> it's yeah. uh yeah, it's, it's a great film. And you figure those 1950s sci-fi films, they all have, like we said, a charm about them as well, because there was, you know, we had not, you know, uh, mankind had not been to space yet or the moon yet or anything like that. So right. all this stuff was very brand new and very, you know, mystifying to people. And, when you look at it through that lens too, it really adds something extra to it. But um, yeah, love this one. And yeah, we keep referencing a film, so I'll come out and say it. It's uh, Alien, you know, 1979, <laughs> Ridley Scott's Alien uh, uh, borrowed uh, quite a bit from this film. So obviously they have their differences, but yeah, just kind of the same basic premise. But uh, this one was directed by Edward L. Kahn. And I don't know about you, Karen, but that is one of the names when I see it pop up on a credits <laughs> when the film is starting, I know it's going to be a, a fun movie. You know, he's uh, directed some really fun sci-fi horror movies from this era that I really enjoy. You know, this one and another one called the four skulls of Jonathan Drake. I love that one. I've only uh, heard of that. I haven't seen it. So that's, uh, you it's on my to-do list. Yeah, you, you would love it. And then Invisible Invaders. Uh, creature oh, with the, yeah. Creature with the atom brain. <laughs> oh, yeah. Another, yeah. That's, that's crazy, too. But, yeah, that's a name that I think, oh, yeah, this is probably going to be pretty good. I, I can recognize that one right away. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. That's a, a good lineage there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the there was only one actor I actually recognized in this one, though. Um, as far as the cast goes, uh, the main character is um, Marshall Thompson, who's Colonel Edward Carruthers. And I did recognize him, like, his face, but I could not place him. But uh, I, I, I've seen, like, I looked him up and thought, oh, okay, yeah, he was in that. Now I know. But I, it took me a while to figure that out. Yeah, same here. He looked very familiar. I wouldn't have been able to come up with his name, but uh, I definitely thought I had seen him in maybe some TV shows. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got a huge, huge uh, log uh, backlog of uh uh, films and television mm -hmm. i mean fiend without a face is one of them that i thought oh yeah he was in that you know that's another one from this same era here um but yeah he was he was definitely a guy that i thought well he looks familiar but the guy i recognized <laughs> right away was dabs greer <laughs> oh yeah i did as well uh, yeah he's seems like 
almost out of place in this film because he definitely looks like he belongs in a Western somewhere, right? Yeah, he did so much television. And then, of course, when I was a little kid, one of the only shows we watched religiously, because it was one of the only shows I was allowed to watch, was Little House on the Prairie. And he was the <laughs> minister guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right, so having seen that first and then seeing him in this, that was really like, what's he doing here? That was really kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> but he did OK. I liked him in this one. Like, I thought the cast was pretty good. Very small cast. Yeah. Um, you know, what is it like three, six, nine, ten, nine or ten people really with speaking parts. That's about it in the whole movie, you know, because there is a scene where there's, you know, a, a room full of uh, reporters, but none of them really right. say anything. So you can't really count them. So honestly, there's like maybe you know, ten people with speaking parts. Well, then the monster, we can't forget him, too. He was <laughs> he doesn't speak. He just kind of growls a lot. But... Yeah, he has a strong presence. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But um yeah, and then uh, the monster itself, the the costume. What did you think of that one? It's an interesting story. I mean, uh, the the costume clearly doesn't hold up to our standards today, and it's it's no creature from the Black Lagoon for sure. Um, but you know, when you look at it, it was made by Paul Blaisdell, and so Paul Blaisdell is one of these guys that has an interesting history in in. Uh, monsterdom you know having worked with like roger corman he most famously probably the creatures he made was uh the saucer men from invasion of the saucer men mm-hmm. and uh i don't know i think you know it's an interesting suit i know reading uh, some articles it suffers from the fact that he wasn't able to cast the mask off the actor off of uh ray crash corrigan yeah and I, I know you probably read as well how uh, <laughs> Corgan's chin stuck out of the mouth of the monster. <laughs> so he does have this weird kind of like protruding. Uh, it's supposed to be a tongue, but it look it just looks kind of bizarre, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, almost he has a very, you know, sort of reptilian caveman kind of look to him. <laughs> you know, but it, it works because he's supposed to be very brutal. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, at least as far as like bulk goes, he's a very, you know, uh, imposing creature. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, for for the time and everything, it was a it was a pretty cool design. What did you yeah. think? Yeah, I mean, the whole uh, mask part uh, on his head, I didn't until I read up about that. It didn't really stand out to me as much like Mm -hmm. i thought okay it looks kind of wild but then once i found out you know like you said he didn't he couldn't make the mask to fit the actual actor's you know head so the guy's head was bigger than the mask but once you read that and you really look at it you just can't miss it and you can't forget it and it kind of makes you laugh a little bit exactly (laughs) you just you can't not see it once you've read it it's like you're just looking for it so (laughs) it's a little bit of a distraction but it's still nonetheless it's it's an interesting monster and yeah i mean you wouldn't want that thing chasing you so Mm -hmm. it it works yeah for real i thought it was still pretty good you know even with that little you know uh faux pas there it's still a (laughs) pretty good monster like you said not you know creature level but it's still pretty good because i'm sure the budget was uh, a lot less as you know than the creature and other you know more expensive films were too so oh oh yeah 
Yeah, so but yeah, really cool. I mean, it's a it's one that you gotta see, especially if you know a you haven't seen it, and b if you're a fan of you know the 1979 uh, Alien movie, you really do need to see it, uh, this movie. You, you kind of owe it to yourself to seek this one out. And it's not that hard to find either. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. public domain or not, but it's you can find it on the regular. And it's just over an hour runtime as well. It's only like what oh, 68 yeah. minutes or something like that. It's not not very long. So right, you're you're not making a huge investment of time to watch it. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty short. Uh, yeah, but it's it's fun. You know, it's suspenseful. Um, they do manage to to capture a feeling of uh, claustrophobia on the spaceship, you know. So mm-hmm. you're 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 constantly wondering, like, oh, how are they going to evade this creature? Um, and the the sort of bickering or conflict between the crew and uh, Carruthers is, in a lot of ways, I think, unique because I, I don't feel like. Um, a lot of the 50s sci-fi featured that sort of, um, I want to say negativism, but, you know, it, it was more upbeat, I think, than mm-hmm. a, a lot of the, the later sci-fi we would see in the 60s and 70s. And and this almost felt more of, uh, you know, like you would see in the 70s, right? Like you would see with an alien where it's like, oh, we're going to wipe out, you know, most of the crew and, you know, we're going to have these these people uh, going after each other. And yeah, it was a very, very different type of sci-fi film for the time. Yeah, I think a lot of the other, like you said, the other sci-fis, you know, the crew, you know, got along well and they were always had the same game plan and there really wasn't, you know, much of that back and forth with each other. So Mm -hmm. that does definitely help set this one apart. But Okay, well, here, let me just do a quick little synopsis here, and then we can really get into the meat of the uh, story here. So uh, the film begins with a monologue by Colonel Carruthers, an ominous one at that. But then we switch back to Earth and an official holding a press conference. He tells the members of the press that six months ago, Carruthers and a crew were sent to Mars. And just two months previous here, from this moment, another ship was sent to check on the first. A communication was just received that all the members of the first expedition are dead except for Carruthers, and he's being brought back to be tried for murder. Back on Mars, the second ship lifts off, but unbeknownst to them, a passenger has stowed away on the ship as well. So, okay, so yeah, we can get right into it. And, you know, it's, you know, like we said, you know, you've seen Alien, you've kind of seen this movie too with some <laughs> with some changes same thing you know ship alien gets on the ship and starts to uh eliminate the uh the crew one at a time now you don't see quite as many people <laughs> killed in this film as you do some of the more modern sci-fi and horror right. films you know but you, you do see uh what one two is it three two or three people get killed in the from the crew here and then one gets hurt really really bad too so right but yeah, it's it's kind of along the same premise, and it's uh, it's really cool though. What did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it uh, it moves along pretty well. I mean, yeah, it's sixty eight minutes, so they 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 do a very economic storytelling. Um, I thought it was exciting. You know, the characters for for what they are are pretty well defined. Um, I think you know you're sympathetic to Carruthers uh, throughout the thing. And um, the action is pretty good, you know. I mean, obviously, 
they don't have a huge budget and and you have to question like really you're going to fire bullets in the in the spaceship <laughs> you're going to blow things up i mean they they had grenades going off it was kind of like aren't you kind of worried about like piercing the hole and but but you know <laughs> I, I guess we just have to not worry about that and and go with it um mm-hmm. but you know it it i don't know it keeps me engaged i'm i i think it's uh uh, you know, it's an exciting film, and uh, yeah, it's you know, it's like a almost like yeah, that's the '50s version of Alien. What can you say? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's there's two female characters on the ship, and one of them, um, uh, she really doesn't have a whole lot of you know uh, weight to her character, um, but I do think that. Uh, Anne Doran, who plays Mary Royce, uh, the wife of uh, Eric, I'm assuming, um, the Dabs Greer character. Mm-hmm. She's like the scientist on board. And uh, when one of the crew members gets injured by this creature, you know, she's trying to figure out what happened to him. And then they find a couple of the dead bodies and she's figuring out what happened to them. So I thought her character was pretty good. You know, 1958 to have, you know, a, a lady character and be a scientist and have a know a pretty good role in the film like that i thought that was pretty good yeah i mean it's it's a mixed bag right because yeah the younger woman is part of the pseudo love triangle that starts to form between the captain of the ship and mm-hmm. Carruthers, and and they do have the women serving like coffee and sandwiches <laughs> <laughs> yeah Okay, you know, you wouldn't see Ripley serving sandwiches on the Nostrum. No, so. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's 58, so it's like, okay, you know, you have to understand the context. Um, but, yeah, that was uh, it was good that, uh, you know, one of the women, yeah, like you're talking about, she was a scientist. She was trying to understand, do the autopsy on one of the characters and, she was the one that figured out that the creature was draining them, I think, of all their uh, fluids, like blood and, and everything out of their body. And, you know, so she was trying to understand exactly what the creature was doing. And there was also an interesting part where two of the crew who had been attacked uh, were developing some sort of weird infection. Mm-hmm. And she was trying to understand that. And I thought, Oh, that's kind of interesting. It's not the same as like the, uh, you know, the egg being implanted in John Hurt in Alien, but it's, you know, a few steps away, right? So the the creature's infecting them with something. And I I just, I kept seeing like so many parallels, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, you really do. You really do. It's, you know, when you read about certain things, you know, certain people have things to say and, you know, some of the, people that have uh, written about the similarities being the two, you know, one of them says it. the creature was, the plot was liberally borrowed from this movie. And I'm like, yeah, you could say that. And again, nothing against uh, Dan O'Bannon for alien. It was a great movie. I love it. Um, and it does have its differences. It's not, you know, a, a complete, you know, rip off, but mm-hmm. yeah, there is quite a few similarities in this one, not just the alien on board, you know, well, for sure. It was funny too. Cause I, I, did a little research and I tried to find like an interview or some other reference to see if like O'Bannon had ever directly said that he, you know, took the idea from it. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't really find a resource that 
said that, although he like named a bunch of different things as you know inspirations, including like the original uh, uh, movie version of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there were you know some stories uh, in like um, astounding science fiction. Oh yeah. That you mentioned, uh, you know, just like a bunch of different things. And I kind of thought, well, why wouldn't he like just fess up to (laughs) it? You know, if he's like he would say, oh, yeah, I stole a bunch of stuff. And um, so I don't know. It's it's interesting. Maybe somewhere there is that quote. and Maybe somebody listening to the podcast will be able to dig it up. I I looked around for an hour or so and couldn't maybe my Google skills are not up to it. But, um, yeah, I didn't I didn't find it, but I. I mean, certainly anybody who watches the two films would say that there must have been some inspiration and maybe he watched uh, it and just forgot about it and it was in his subconscious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. He, he would, and he would have been right in the wheelhouse for this movie too because he was born in 46. So you figure mm-hmm. what would that make him, like 12 when this movie came out? So you figure a 12-year-old, you would have been all over this movie. Oh, yeah. That would have made a huge impression, right? Oh yeah, for sure. That would have been something you would have kept with you for a while. Cause like we said, there was this, this was like the, the dawning of the sci-fi era in films, the 1950s. So, you know, this, this was huge back then, like a huge market for it. They were churning out these movies left and right because kids and people were going to see them like crazy in droves. Well, I mean, even the, the fact that like the monster was moving around through the air ducts. Mm-hmm. It was like, where are you going to come up with that? I just, yeah, it, it was just, there's just too many, too many similarities. But again, they're both great movies, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I would, I, I mean, I've got uh, it on DVD, so uh, I enjoy watching it. And it doesn't really matter to me, you know, it influenced Alien. Sure, that's great. And I still, I love Alien. It's one of my favorite films as well. So, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to me how much he stole from <laughs> anything else. Yeah, to me, yeah, it doesn't detract from that one at all. But, oh, you mentioned earlier, too, some of the shenanigans, though. Like, it's like they tried to be very, you know, forward thinking with a lot of the things. But then let's shoot at it with all these different type of guns inside a spaceship that's in the middle of space. So if you <laughs> get a hole in that, you're pretty much dead. And then grenades. I mean, holy smokes. And then towards the end, the my favorite part is, you know, oh, it's getting into the like this is a, a rocket almost. I shouldn't I should have mentioned that in the beginning. They're almost like in a rocket ship. Right. So there's all different levels and there's a hatch that they can seal off each level. Well, this creature starts out at the bottom level and kind of starts working its way up and they keep kind of ascending to the top level to the point where they can't go anywhere. So if he comes into that last level, they're all going to get killed. And then they brandish a bazooka to shoot at <laughs> I was like, wow, really? The guns? Okay. The grenades? Okay. Maybe a ship could withstand that, but a bazooka. I thought, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a little much. It was kind of like, you could see like if you, if you blew a hole with like a 38, sure, maybe you could put a metal plate and weld it over the hole. You'll be okay. But the bazooka you're pretty much done, right? There's, what are you going to do? And the other questionable activity was when the uh, two of the guys 
had to go outside of the ship. Oh, right. Right. To get to the blood. <laughs> so the, the, the monster, I think at that point was in the sort of midsection of the ship. Mm-hmm. The two guys had to go to a level below him to get blood for the, uh, the injured guys. Mm-hmm. And so while the guy is in the, the monsters in the midsection of the ship, the captain who is semi delirious cause he's been attacked and he's infected mm-hmm. decides, Oh, you know what I'll do? I'll drop the shielding on the nuclear engine because the <laughs> monster is in that section and I'll expose him to the nuclear radiation. It's like, wait a minute, that whole compartment is going to be flooded with nuclear radiation. <laughs> it was like, this is a very questionable decision, I think. Uh, uh, you know, and then everybody, they're walking around in that section later on. It's like, oh, my God, they're all going to die before they get back to the, to Earth. But <laughs> Yeah, because they weren't in... Other than the very, very end, they weren't in spacesuits or anything like that. They were just running around like we would be in our house with all this right. going on. <laughs> so there, there were some, yeah, there were some questionable moves made. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is some really cool stuff, too. Like the, the one guy, oh, man, I should have uh, written this down. But one of the guys, when they do go out and make that spacewalk. One of the guys gets stuck with with the alien and he's got like this blowtorch and he's hiding behind like, some sort <laughs> oh, of machinery. Yeah. And he, yep. he just keeps having to drive the alien off with the blowtorch. And that was kind of neat. Yeah, 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 that was. I think that was either... It's either uh, Bob or... Uh, John, one of those two guys, because the other guys, Gino and Joe, they were both killed. And then, like you said, the the captain, uh, he got, or I'm sorry, uh, Colonel, Colonel Van Heusen, he was like kind of in charge of this rocket. He right. got hurt as well. So there was those two guys that were both hurt, but, uh, and then two guys that were killed by the creature, which was kind of violent too. They, they didn't really show it, but mm-hmm. it showed like the creature in shadow, kind of like ripping them up. And it was pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, you know, this goes back to that era where they suggested more than they showed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, that's a little more powerful in some ways. Yeah. Because um, you're sitting there thinking like, oh, man, what is this thing doing to these people? You know, is he tearing them in half? What is he? And, you know, the things you can think of may be almost worse than what you actually see on the screen. or Or at least it may, you know your imagination gets activated rather than just being fed a bunch of images, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's a, a better way of doing things for sure. Like it's better to, to tell, not show. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And then, Oh man, once they finally do figure out how to stop the creature, <clears throat> it, uh, it switches back. I guess they, you know, kill the creature and then send a message to earth. And, uh, you know, we have the room full of, uh, reporters again and the official telling them what's going on and uh, you know they a lot of these sci-fi movies have like a line at the end of them that tries to you know they try to have this like a very pertinent line and sometimes it's that something they try to connect to the thought process of the times or you know something about the environment something you know like they try to make it you know uh not just you know your regular everyday garden variety entertainment you know like, yep, mm-hmm. this is a film to come and have fun with, but hey, here's something to think about as well. And uh, the project director, he says, uh, 
the emphasis he emphasizes that Earth may now be forced to bypass the red planet because another <laughs> word for Mars is death. <laughs> Too funny. Yeah, and it's kind of funny to think about that because just like uh, like you mentioned earlier, you know, this is before we went to the moon or really started exploring space. We were just, you know, beginning to and to think like, yeah. oh, no, we're not, we can't go there. You know, we have limitations. Uh, that was really a different type of mindset, you know, very negative yeah. <laughs> way of looking at it, right? <laughs> Now we're not going there. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, because you never know. I mean, like I said, we were on the cusp of starting to do that stuff, but there were so many unknowns. You really had no clue what was going on out there. And there probably were a good contingency of people thinking maybe this isn't a good idea. So (laughs) it's always interesting to think about. It's funny because I I typically think of films from this era trying to wrap things up with a, a nice bow Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, we, you know, everybody's, you know, alive now and everything's great. But yeah, this one is sort of like, well, you know, I guess we're okay. We're going to go back to Earth, but we can never go back to Mars. And, mm-hmm. You know, we still have people who are dead and injured. And yeah, it's um, certainly different. Like you think about, and I was trying to think some of the other films from the era that, you know, probably bigger films like uh, Forbidden Planet. Mm. You know, even even a film like that, they they basically gave us sort of this happy ending. Yeah. Uh, you know, so everybody, most of the time, they, they, they tried to sugarcoat things for us. Yeah. Um, and this one definitely doesn't sugarcoat anything. Mm. No. And then I wonder myself, too, you know, a lot of times in these sci-fi movies, it was something happened on another planet or this or that. But now this happened on the ship and the ship, I would just assume, you know, you kind of just assume it made it back to Earth and it made it back to Earth with the alien still intact. Oh, that's a good point, because, yeah, unlike alien, he doesn't get blown out the airlock. He's just wedged into that um, hatch the there. Hatch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm thinking that what they do with the alien when they got back to Earth, man, oh, autopsy God. or what happened. But, yeah, that's something that's a little bit different, too. Usually the aliens, you know, blown to bits or whatever. You usually don't think, hey, what, they, what are they going to do with that alien now? Are they going to, you know, check it out and see what's going on? Or maybe uh, Wayland Utani is going <laughs> to get a hold. Maybe that was the start of them. <laughs> that's right. They'll they'll officially tie it into the whole alien franchise. Mm-hmm. Yep. This was the, the, the original <laughs> alien. This was just one stage of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This. Uh, well, hey, some people might rather this than Prometheus. You never know. Some people well, are like really rail against that one. They might rather this as the prequel. <laughs> I I gotta say, I was I was pretty disappointed with Prometheus. I had I had high expectations. So. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, I was... I have no idea what. Um, Ridley Scott is thinking nowadays. It's like, yeah, the visuals, oh the visuals in that movie were brilliant. I loved them. I thought visually it was a very stunning. Movie, oh, yeah. Yeah. The whole concept of the movie was a little like, what? That was definitely not what I was expecting or hoping for. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. Incredibly disappointing for me. 
Um, yeah. I'm quite bitter about it, but I try to hold it in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't get you too riled up here about yeah, it. Yeah, don't get me going because yeah. it'll be a totally different <laughs> podcast. Um, oh, that's yeah. great. I am really actually I'm glad, though, that I mean, you know, Alien came around and has kind of given it a, a new life. Yeah, um, which is great, you know, so people will go out and seek this film out and and enjoy it for what it's worth, because, uh, you know, it is a great movie to just sit on the couch, make yourself some popcorn and, and just enjoy it, you know, just take it in for what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good popcorn movie, and just look at it with the eyes. You know, put on your 1950s sci-fi glasses when you watch the movie. Don't, if you're, you know, only a newer sci-fi fan, don't put on your, you know, 2010, 2012, 2020 <laughs> <laughs> glasses and think, man, where's all the special effects? No, don't do that. Take it for what it is, you know, 1958, and I, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, we said it has its charms and Mm -hmm. there's a great point about it being a rocket ship, too, because we so often now think of these huge sprawling spaceships with multiple decks and all these things. And it's like, no, this is really like an old school rocket ship, Mm -hmm. you know, the engine at one end, the, the cockpit at the point or whatever. And then you've got, you know, just a few levels and there's no real way to get around right from point a to b it's a straight line from Mm -hmm. deck to deck to deck and uh except unless you of course take the spacewalk outside to go to the (laughs) bottom um so yeah and that's so different now nobody you know when was the last time you saw a movie with an actual you know rocket ship uh everything's you know designed so differently you Mm -hmm. know we've We've gotten used to spaceships that look like all sorts of things, you know. That I mean, the Enterprise was a really unusual design when it came out, and that was the '60s. And yeah, you know, now we've got things that look like pretty much floating cities. So mm-hmm. to think about the limitations of like the rocket ship, it's uh, it's a, it's the perfect design for this sort of suspenseful, uh, claustrophobic story. Yeah, there really was nowhere to go. But yeah, I mean, a lot of those 1950s sci-fis were rocket ships. And I know mm-hmm. one of the only ones I can think of off the top of my head that wasn't was Forbidden Planet. It was almost like a saucer, like the right. aliens usually had in that movie. I don't know if I heard that on the commentary. And I I thought, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Usually the aliens had the saucers, you know, the flying saucer type ships. And, you know, the Earth people usually always had rocket ships. And that was kind of like the standard back then. Yeah, that is kind of weird. I mean, I haven't uh, haven't read much about that, so I don't know why, from a design purpose, they they went with that. But uh, it's about the only one I can think of where human beings are in the saucer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, for sure. Yeah, now that I think about it, it is the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything was a rocket ship, or like, yeah, if you saw uh, an alien invasion movie, it was the aliens were in a saucer. It was kind of weird. I always, I never, it's another one of those things, kind of like the, the mask for the creature here until I read about it. It would never really stuck out to me. And then I read about it and I'm like, Oh yeah. And it really clicked. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Karen. So yeah, so we got a winner here. Everybody's got to go see this one. Look it up. It's online. It's everywhere. You can probably grab a DVD of it somewhere too. And it's not too bad, but, uh, so what else is going on with you right now? How's uh, Planet 8 going? What's going on over there? 
Well, Planet 8 is going pretty well. We celebrated our third year of recording back in May, um, which surprised the heck out of me. It's like, wow, three years have gone by already. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we are. We just uh, recorded our 80th episode uh, this last weekend, so that will be out uh, in late August. I'm not sure when this is. <laughs> this episode is premiering, so it will either have been out or be out. Or, but uh, things are going well. Uh, you know, we're trying to continue to um, feature new ideas and so you know if any of our fans have some ideas we're always welcome to to hear those um i think you know it's an exciting time to be a fan you know we have so many different platforms and so many um different uh wow sorry i just had a huge thunder uh, mm-hmm. strike here um, yeah. <laughs> so many, you know, there's so many different franchises that are really engaged right now, providing, you know, different stuff. I mean, the Marvel stuff is coming out as Fast and Furious, Star Wars 2. And then, uh, you know, there's always those new independent things that surprise us. So uh, I'm just thrilled to be able to, you know, experience all these things. Hopefully, uh, you know, we get a grip on uh, COVID soon and we'll feel more comfortable about theaters. I, I had been in the theater, haven't been for a little while, but, uh, you know, I just hope everybody stays, uh, healthy and we can all start going to conventions and stuff again. I know some of the shows have been canceled that I normally go to. So just waiting for everything to come back to normal, but, uh, yeah, Planet 8 is doing well and hopefully, uh, we'll be, continue to to go for uh, several more years who knows how long as long as we can continue to plug in our mics and <laughs> get everything running yeah as long as it's fun you got to keep going but yeah shows i'm i'm right i'm teetering on the edge of a show it's in the end of october right around halloween uh it's a big show up here in pa uh it's called monster bash Oh, uh, yeah. I've always yeah. seen pictures and stuff. It looks like it's uh, fantastic. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a great show. I was there in 2013 and it was a blast. We went there to the Pittsburgh area for the weekend and I spent the whole day Saturday there. And it was uh, the, one of the big draws for me to go that year was it was um, all hammer. So all mm. the hammer, the, the still remaining actors and actresses from a, a lot of the hammer films were there that weekend. So it was super cool, but I just, I feel like the way things are right now, I, I don't know if I want to buy tickets to then hear, Oh, it's canceled. Cause they did cancel last year. So I thought, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'd really yeah. like to go, but I don't know. I'm just not sure. It's, it's really a, a tough decision. I know I was looking at monster. I think it's son of monster Palooza. Uh, in uh, Burbank in California and it's just mm. you know it's hard to say it's like in in October and you know it's hard to tell um, where things are going to be at um, I'm just hoping next year maybe we'll get our acts together and, yeah and you know be in a better place yeah, yeah be in a better place and we can all enjoy being fans together again yeah, hopefully, because those are so much fun. Conventions, you know, whether it's your comic book or, you know, sci-fi monsters, whatever, those conventions are so much fun. You just have so many people that, you know, have a love for these uh, mediums and get together and have a good time. So, yeah, I do oh, miss yeah. it. 
I and it's funny because I feel like the uh, the things I remember most and enjoy the most from the shows that I've been to are not necessarily the things that are organized, like the panels, which can be great. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it's just those sort of serendipitous meetings with other fans, or you may run into, you know, an actor or other celebrity in a hallway or something. And these things just, you know, come out of nowhere and you have this wonderful memory uh, or a wonderful experience with somebody and uh, even forming a, a relationship that will carry over for years, you know. So mm-hmm. um, those are the things that I think really strike me from being able to go to the conventions. I think it's been nice that a lot of the the showrunners have done virtual events, but it's, mm. you know, it's just not yeah. quite the same, is it? So Yeah, no. And those... Uh crazy moments that happen at the uh, weirdest times they do happen <laughs> i was not part of one but my wife uh was at a show with me i think it may have been either new york or baltimore comic con and she walked out of the restroom and bumped right into stanley <laughs> and, <laughs> and, a, and a security person and she was like oh hi and he was like hi <laughs> i was like man why couldn't that happen to me so yep you just <laughs> You just never know, you know, the right mm-hmm. place, the right time. So, mm, yeah, for sure. But all right, Karen. So if anybody wants to find you, where can they reach out to you at? Uh, well, I am on uh, Twitter at. Uh, oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. I think I was <laughs> trying to remember, like, wait, I handle on Twitter. Um, I think it's Walker K20. I think it's Walker underscore KM. Oh, okay. <laughs> thanks. I'm glad. I glad somebody knows what it is. Okay, <laughs> and uh, that's probably the best place. And then, of course, there's the the Planet Eight Twitter, and uh, that's at Planet Eight Cast, the number eight, and uh, that's where we'll post, you know, what's happening, the latest episodes, and any other information we have about the the show that me and commander larry and chief engineer bob put out and we do that twice a month mm-hmm. so those are the the main spots to find me and my comrades in arms awesome yeah i mean anybody uh, that hasn't uh, given the show a listen go to you know apple podcasts or spotify or whatever and give it a listen because like you said you guys talk about a lot of different things sometimes movies tv shows all the different stuff with you know sci-fi so there will be something on there for everybody. I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Karen. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a blast. I do love this movie and you do too. And like we said, you got to get out there and see this one if you haven't. And if you haven't seen it in a while, give it a rewatch. But uh, for sure. So again, thank you. I appreciate you being on, Karen. Well, thanks for having me on, Billy. And I just uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk about, you know, one of these films that we both love so much. and. Hopefully people will uh, take a look at it and really uh, have some fun with it. Yeah, for sure. And then, like I said, Edward L. Kahn, you said you're on your to-do list. Uh, <laughs> of Jonathan Drake, look that one up. It's a fun one. That's another one on the ready, too. You can find that one anywhere. I, I, don't, know, I don't know if it's public domain, too, or what, but it's always around. I'm going to have to You'll like it. It's, it it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll do All right. 
All right. So again, thanks, Karen. And then uh, I'll be back in just a short minute here to wrap up the show. Hi, I'm Robert Osborne. Our next murder mystery takes us into the deep, dark reaches of space. It's a film called It, the Terror from Beyond Space, released by United Artists in 1958, but set in 1973, which, according to the movie, was a time when we could have the ability to send people to Mars easily. Well, in the film, a space crew of nine goes to Mars, and everybody except their crew's commander, played by Marshall Thompson, dies under mysterious circumstances. Well, because he's the lone survivor, everybody assumed Thompson has murdered the other eight men. So he's put on a ship to be sent back to Earth and given a court-martial. But before the ship can blast off, more strange things begin to happen to the crew, which is there to take Thompson back for trial. And they all begin being picked off one by one. Now, this is not 2001 A Space Odyssey or Star Wars 23, but it's what fans of sci-fi of the 50s love best about the genre. It has low-budget sets and effects, wild predictions of what our future will look like, and a menace that only a drive-in crowd could truly love. It's a type of film its producer Edward Small specialized in making at that time. This is indeed a small production. In the 1930s, Edward Small, though, had made some biggies, like The Count of Monte Cristo with Robert Donat and The Man in the Iron Mask with Louis Hayward and Joan Bennett. Later, he produced impressive films with stars the caliber of Orson Welles, Merle Oberon, and Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And it was in the late 50s, it was Edward Small who executive produced the great witness for the prosecution. But during this early 50s phase of his career, Small was under contract to United Artists to make a series of low-budget movies, some of which took only a week or two to film. Small had a great knack for finding stories that would attract young moviegoers to drive-ins and local movie houses, and many of them went on to make very nice profits for Small and United Artists. Some have gone on actually to become film noir classics, such as 1948's Raw Deal, 1952's Kansas City Confidential, and 1953's 99 River Street, all of them produced by Edward Small. But here from 1958, directed by Edward L. Kahn, It, The Terror from Beyond Space. Welcome to Planet 8. Every two weeks, the crew at Planet 8 Podcast explores the many worlds of science fiction, fantasy, superheroes, monsters, and more. We cover the latest movies and TV shows, as well as old favorites, too. Yeah, like Planet of the Apes. It's a manhunt! A manhunt! Hey, guys, don't forget Star Trek. Fascinating. Or classic monsters like King Kong, Creature from the Black Lagoon, or Godzilla. If it's nerdy or geeky, we'll probably be talking about it. So why don't you tune in and check us out? You can find us on iTunes or other fine podcast providers. Come join the conversation at our website, planet8podcast.blogspot.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. This is Planet 8 Podcast, signing off and transmission. up episode 17 uh what a great guest karen is i uh, love always having her on she's a fun guest very knowledgeable definitely check her out on twitter 
Uh, look in the show notes for some links to Twitter and other things she has going on. But definitely want to uh, you know thank her again for being on. Look forward to uh, talking to her again down the road. And uh, just a little preview. Look forward to a lot of content coming in the month of October for Halloween. As I'm hoping to have an episode a week out instead of just two per month. Hopefully four. And then of course, you know, Herman and I will have some crazy stuff cooking too with Into the Weird and... You know, his show Long Box of Darkness as well, so definitely check those out. Hey everybody, take care.